Astronomically speaking, man is insignificant. Most of us are less than two metres tall. That's microscopic when compared to a universe that extends out billions of light years. Astronomically speaking, man is the astronomer. Humans are the only ones who understand the universe. The human mind is more amazing than any galaxy. Albert Einstein said science without religion is lame. Religion without science is blind. With that thought in mind, let's analyze where science and the Bible help each other see more clearly and to walk more sure-footedly. Welcome to Truth in the Test Tube. 17th century French mathematician, physicist and philosopher Blaise Pascal wrote, All bodies, the firmament, the stars, the earth and its kingdoms, are not worth the least of minds, for it knows them all and itself too, while bodies know nothing. In his book, Letter to an Influential Atheist, author Roger Steers says, Consider how well the mind performs in everyday situations. Addressing British atheist Richard Dawkins, he writes, You and every reader of this letter can analyse what you're reading. Agree with what you believe to be true. Reject what you know to be false. Doubt any overstatement. Warm to that which rings true in your experience. You may be forming subtle judgments about the quality of my writing, the nuances of my standpoint, the originality of my insight, the profundity or otherwise of my thought. You may feel at times you can read between the lines. We can recognise what a person is implying without his spelling them out in words. Steer uses more than 50 words to describe abstract concepts that come through the mind. He lists emotions such as happiness, fear, joy, pleasure and self-respect. And the ability to recognise intellectual skills such as intelligence, intuition and discernment. Aesthetic judgments, including beauty and charm, and recognition of moral values such as right, wrong, integrity, modesty, cruelty, and kindness. And then he contrasts these qualities with Dawkins' atheistic worldview. According to your worldview, this capacity of the human brain to handle with ease a vast range of emotions has evolved from mindless matter by a process of cumulative natural selection. That would mean the brain developed with no purpose. In Dawkins' worldview, there is no creator who created matter with all its potential, who wills that matter should have such properties, and who sustains us moment by moment. He asks Dawkins how an atheist explains the human mind's ability to understand these abstract concepts. The Christian believes that being created in the image of God, humans have the capacity for creativity a potential even for nobility. Then why don't humans always behave creatively and nobly? The first human couple disobeyed God, and that caused all their descendants, the entire human race, to be born without the moral perfection that God built into the original humans. This explains their tendency to miss the mark and behave shabbily or much worse. There's a tension between the bad part of man's nature and the good part, a battle between what the Bible calls the flesh and the spirit. Is there any way a person can enable goodness to win that battle? Yes, through the power of God's spirit, a follower of Christ can demonstrate some of the spirit's fruit. 
love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Those are qualities which God can enable us to achieve. Richard Dawkins was Charles Simonyi Professor of the Public Understanding of Science at Oxford University in England. Steer contrasts Dawkins with a former scholar at Oxford. John Henry Newman wrote about the power and uniqueness of the human mind. He thought that one of the first things the human mind does is to take hold of what meets the senses. He believed that this was the main distinction between use of senses by humans and animals. Animals see sights and hear sounds, but the human intellect takes sights and sounds and unites them to make sense of the world. It seizes and unites what the senses present to it. Explain what you mean by the human intellect taking and uniting what the senses present to it. In a book entitled The Idea of a University, Newman wrote that the human mind discerns in lines and colours or in tones what is beautiful and what is not. It gives them a meaning and invests them with an idea. It gathers up a succession of notes into the expression of a whole and calls it melody. It has a keen sensibility towards angles and curves, lights and shadows, tints and contours. It distinguishes between rule and exception, between accident and design. It assigns phenomena to a general law and effects to a cause. In a word, it philosophizes. Science and philosophy are nothing else but this habit of viewing the objects which sense conveys to the mind and arranging them into a system. That idea of the human mind putting sights together into a systematic whole reminds me of an incident that the Bible book of Mark reports. A blind man came to Jesus, and Jesus cured his blindness. At first the man said, I see people, they look like trees walking around. Jesus touched the man again, and he saw things clearly. That makes sense in the light of 21st century neurology. At a scientific conference in Scotland, one specialist interpreted that biblical incident this way. The eyes were healed when Jesus first touched them, but the mind couldn't integrate the images it received from a retina until the optic cortex of the brain became functional. That's another instance where our modern scientific knowledge helps us to understand and appreciate the Bible. That's another complexity that seems logically explained by the idea of a wise creator. Galileo agreed. He wrote, When I consider what marvellous things and how many of them men have understood, I recognise and understand only too clearly that the human mind is a work of God and one of the most excellent. Another thing that impresses me about the mind is the conscience, our internal sense of right or wrong. Steer writes to Dawkins, as a materialistic atheist, you ask yourself how to identify what is good and what is evil. What is goodness? How can we be confident of what is right and what is wrong? The first day of a new year you make a resolution to live a more disciplined life, to be more discriminating in your TV viewing and spend more time with your family. You will aim to be a kinder, more considerate person. In your less worthy moods, however, if you're anything like me, you're aware of your capacity to manipulate people, to be irresponsible, untrustworthy, hypocritical, selfish. And after a succession of selfish acts, 
your conscience troubles you to the extent that you lose sleep and cannot face your food. Although you would love to feel at peace again, you experience the annoying sensation of being unable to forgive yourself, an uninvited sense of self-loathing. How did humans get a conscience? As soon as people began to reflect on deep issues, they believed that there was something mysterious about the conscience. Socrates, for example, believed that he had a divine voice within him. He valued his conscience because it seemed somehow to be telling him how he ought to behave. Some of the early Christian fathers spoke of conscience as the voice of God within, as a sort of moral sense through which, when we exercise it, we become aware of the presence of God. Immanuel Kant thought of conscience as the awareness of the universal claim of the moral dictates of reason. The Apostle Paul spoke of the conscience. In the second chapter of the Bible book of Romans, he wrote that people who had never been told about God's law know intuitively what is right and wrong. In his words, when they do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. Roger Steer concludes this chapter by telling Dawkins, I think that your atheistic worldview, which depends so heavily on natural selection for its understanding of our responses to reality, has great difficulty in accounting for the curious phenomenon of conscience. You've been listening to Truth in the Test Tube, looking at truth through the twin lenses of the world that God created and the Bible that God inspired. Our email address is testtube at radio882.com. That's testtube at radio882.com. Or if you prefer to write, our postal address is Truth in the Test Tube, P.O. Box 4320, Bangalore 560043, India. Once again, that's Truth in the Test Tube, P.O. Box 4320, Bangalore 560043, India. We'd be happy to hear from you and feel free to send your questions and reactions to what we said today. And do join us again for additional episodes of Truth in the Test Tube.